This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. This meeting is being sponsored by the FA 12-Step Committee for the distinct purpose of creating tapes for the 12-Step Committee Tape Library. Those who wish, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I've been in program. God willing, come next week on the 29th, I will be in program seven and a half years. And uh, I am extremely grateful. Uh, I come from a background, a family uh, where Food was very important. I guess you can guess from my accent that I come from New York. can take the girl out of New York, but you can't take the accent out of her. And um, I lived in, I grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, my parents were immigrants, so God bless you. I'm first generation American. And a lot of cultural things, I was brought up with the food and uh, the different holidays, and uh, food was always very important. And I used to look forward to the holidays because I knew that I was going to get, you know, some good things, special things. And I also have a lot of memories of um, my, my parents were good people, and they did the best they could. And I have memories of not getting enough attention. I was six and a half years old when my baby sister was born. And uh, I just felt that I wasn't getting enough. And I remember getting sick often. You know, I would get a cold, an upset stomach. I wanted mama's attention. But more than her attention, I wanted the goodies that she was going to bring to me. You know, because there were special foods that she would make if, you know, if your stomach is a little upset. She would bring it to me. And... Um, so I got used to that, you know, and, and I think as I got older, I looked for excuses to be sick so I could take care of myself with food. And um, when my little sister was born and then she started to grow a little bit, I started to feel very awkward, you know, six and a half, seven, your teeth are falling out, you're not very attractive. Uh, I started having uh, difficulty, well, I was just newly in school, I wasn't in school that long, and I had difficulty with reading, and um, I, I was going through something, and uh, I think it was jealousy, you know, that I was jealous of this adorable little girl. She had big brown eyes, and she had dark hair, and she was gorgeous, and I had a nose, which she had a little pug nose, and I had a, a long nose. I took, took after my father, and she took after my mother, and I felt less than. I started to feel less than. And um, 
I felt sorry for myself. And, uh, you know, food spoke to me. But not to the degree that it was going to speak to me later on. That was just a little inkling. And uh, I had a lot of friends. I grew up in a neighborhood where um, just on my one side of the street, didn't even have to cross the street, I had five girlfriends, all a year or two younger or older, so I had plenty of friends to play with. And uh, yet there was just something that when I'd come in the house, I would either be happy or upset depending on the food that was cooking. Because if I smelled my mother was cooking something I liked, oh, I was happy. But if she was cooking something I didn't like, I'd start to cry. I would just be so sad because I I knew that I was going to have to eat something I hated. And I didn't, it took me time and program to remember back that I had issues over food because I thought I just liked everything. But I remembered that there were certain things that I would balk and I didn't want to eat. And, um, you know, we weren't rich. We were not rich at all. We were poor. Only nobody ever told me I was poor because everybody around me had the same or less than I had. In fact, I had a girlfriend who didn't have a father. So she had less than I had, and I used to give my hand-me-downs to her. So there was, you know, there was always somebody more poor than me. We had a nice apartment. Uh, my mother always uh, felt that it was important to have a nice place for her children to bring their friends in, and my house was always the gathering place. Um, and food sto- uh, stopped being re- a real issue when I started to become a teenager, you know, I found out about boys, and um, I uh, started to want to look better. I wasn't really fat, but I was just, well, in those days, when I was, let's say, about 15 years old, I wore a size 15. Today, that's a big size. In those days, it wasn't. My wedding dress was a size uh, 15, and I weighed 135 pounds, and I was fi- almost 5'6". Today, it's completely different. But, um, you know, when, when I started to grow and wanted to meet boys, I naturally started to uh, want to be thinner. And I was always jealous of the girls who wore these little outfits, you know, with the small waist, and they wore crinolines. I'm talking about the 50s. And um, I could never look good in those outfits. I didn't have the body for it. I was, as I said, I wasn't fat, but I just didn't fit into the uh, Debbie Reynolds mold. That's what she wore. And um, so I never, never felt comfortable with my body. I, in fact, and I think this is a place to talk about it because it's a big. It was a big issue in my life. I was very self-conscious about my, my breasts. I was very, very large. I have since had surgery and had them reduced, and it was the best thing I ever did. I didn't do it until I was 58 years old, and the doctors said that I needed to have it done because it was you know, hurting my back and a lot of other things. But I wish that I had done it young because I used to walk around with my hands across my chest all the time. I was also the tallest of all my friends, I was five five and a half, almost five six, and all my girlfriends were short, 
all of them. I had, I'd always look down, and I felt like the big one. I was always the big one. I was always self-conscious about being the big one. In fact, in my family, I was called the big one. My sister was the little one, and I was the big one. And so, you know, it just added to the, the self-image, that, uh, that self-esteem that I never got. Um, but the food still didn't talk to me the way it was going to talk to me. I uh, started uh, dating, and um, then I graduated from high school. I didn't go to college. Not then. I did later on. Um, and um, I went to work, and I started to earn some nice money and started to buy pretty things and uh, started to get a little bit more self-esteem. And then all my girlfriends started getting married. Everybody was getting married, and everybody was starting families, and I didn't have that. And when I was 21, and I felt like I was an old maid, I got married. Somebody asked me. He told me he loved me. So we got married, and we'll be married. Almost, it's almost 45 years. Um, but, you know, I never felt confident. I never felt good about myself, about my body, about my face. And uh, I never had that, that feeling of, of wholeness. And uh, a year and a month after I was married, my son was born. And while I was pregnant with my son, my father passed away. And that was the first terrible tragedy in my life. And um, while I was, preg- I was pregnant and they said, oh, we can't let her get upset. You know, she's liable to lose the baby because I was, I think, in my third month. And so they gave me something to take, some kind of pill, so I shouldn't feel, to numb me which I really believe was a big mistake because I needed to mourn. When my son was two years and two months, my mother died. Now, my father was 59 when he died. My mother was 52. My father wasn't obese, but he was a little heavy. My mother was 265 pounds, and she was about 5'1". All my life, she was that weight. All my life she wore like a size 52. So I never had, you know, the role model of, you know, an attractive young mother. But when I lost both of them in a very brief period of time, depression set in. Now, by this time I'm married. We have a house in the country. I don't know, you know, if people uh, can identify with this, but... Where I grew up in Brooklyn, you could knock on the door on, e- uh, on the wall on either side of you and somebody would answer because the houses are attached. But I suddenly lived out in the country with trees, with grass, and loneliness. I was absolutely terrified of being there. I, I didn't have my friends and my family, and I really felt alone. For the first time in my life, I felt alone. And that's when I stepped over the line with food. I remember um, I had just learned to drive when my mother passed away. And uh, I would drive my husband to the train in the morning. He would take a commuter train into Wall Street, 
We lived out on Long Island. And um, I would have the baby in the car, and I would stop off at the bakery on the way home. Somebody might come to visit. I had to have something in the house. You know, God forbid you should have somebody and just make a cup of coffee. You had to have something to give them. So I would, I would start with that. And I would buy just a few and figure I would have one or maybe two, and my husband would have the rest when he got home. He never even saw it. <laughs> Didn't live that long. And then in those days, I'm talking early 60s. We moved there in 59, so it was the early 60s. Most of us only had one car. Couldn't afford two cars. So the women sometimes were stuck. We couldn't get out. So down the street would come a bakery truck, a fruit and vegetable truck, and they each had a different bell to let you know that they were coming down the street. And I would salivate by the sound of the bells. <laughs> and, um, and I'd buy, you know, I'd buy. And I would, again, I would say, I'm going to buy this, and when my husband comes home tonight, he'll have this. Again, it never lived for him to see it, because I ate it. Well, it got to the point where I was 25 years old when my mother passed away, and I weighed 185 pounds, and I looked like my husband's mother. He was young and good-looking, and he had a crew cut. Now crew cuts are back, but in those, you know, for, for years in between, we didn't have crew cuts on guys, but he was an athlete. He'd go out and play ball. He'd, he, uh, he would coach some uh, little league uh, teams and play himself. He, he was, you know, in good shape. And there was I in a size 18 or 20 in either brown or black or navy blue, you know, didn't have a choice. If it fit, I bought it. And I start, then I started to have to go to the women's department. You know, I call it, you know, 16 or 18 W is 16 or 18 wide, because that's what I was buying, the big sizes. And uh, I could splurge on shoes and bags, you know, buy something pretty, but when it came to the outfit, I couldn't. And then um, an organization began a weight reduction organization, and I joined. And I was wonderful. And, I, you know, you gave me that diet, that piece of paper, and I followed it, and I was great. And I was, by this time, I'm 28 years old, and I lost weight, and I got down to a size 14, which at that time, I'm telling you, was a size 8 today, but that's beside the point. Um, I got into these beautiful clothes, and I... I was, for the first time, I started to feel some self-esteem. I started to feel good. I started to feel like I look as good as so-and-so or so-and-so, because I was always jealous of everybody. And um, you know what happened. I started to eat again. It didn't take long. I can remember exactly when it started. Someone had sent us a package for the Christmas holidays, even though we don't celebrate Christmas, but somebody sent it to us, a, a customer, my husband's. And uh, there were six things in a package, and I wasn't going to touch it. I, put, I left the package whole, I didn't open it, and I put it on a shelf above the sink in the kitchen. 
that wasn't mine. Not allowed to have it. And one night, I'm standing there and I'm washing the dishes, and it called me. I had I can't remember exactly now what had occurred, but something had upset me that day. I didn't need much to upset me to have an excuse, but that one day that was really bad. And so I, I said, well, I'll just take one. And I took it down, and I cut it into quarters. I finished that whole box that night. And from there on, I was on my way. And I gained back that 50 or 55 pounds in no time. And all those beautiful clothes that I had bought were stuck. You know, I, 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 how, many, how many times I've given away clothes with tags on them because I was sure that I was going to be able to wear them and I couldn't. Today I have clothes after uh, over seven years in program that I get tired of. But in those days, I had these beautiful things and I couldn't wear them. So I went on, up and down, up and down on all kinds of diets through the years and was miserable and was getting more and more depressed because I really believed that I was being picked on, you know, that other people could go on a diet and lose weight and keep it off. What was wrong with me? I couldn't keep weight off. I could lose, but I couldn't keep it off. And I was white-knuckling, you know. Uh, they, they said that you could have uh, a little bit of this or a little bit, you know, of sugar and flour and other things. I couldn't stop. You know, they sell these packages and there's two in a package and you, from the freezer. Oh, I couldn't eat just one. Because they said on the program, that's what you're supposed to have, one. I would buy four or five or six because they were on sale and they'd be in my freezer and I would go to town. And the other thing was, I could never tell my husband what I was doing because he was very critical of me. I could never share with him, you know, I'm unhappy and therefore I'm eating because he would pick on me and say, you know, you shouldn't be eating. It's not good for you. And he, w- he really made uh, an issue of it and um, it didn't help me. And, you know, when we first got married, um, we went to a party that his firm had put on, and the big boss, the head man, was an older man, and he sat all the young guys at the table with the wives, and he said, listen, he said, you guys, look at your wife and look at your wife's mother. That's what your wife is going to look like. And I had a mother that was 265 pounds, and I was scared that I was going in that direction, and I was desperate. But I still didn't have an answer. And I'm going to go ahead in time because I have to get to some other things um, that I, I know that I was, I was absolutely ignorant of what I could do and what could help me. Um, my husband was successful in his business. Uh, the job that he had, and we started having more money than I ever thought we would have. We had a beautiful home. Uh, We have uh, one son, and that was another issue that was very, very sad for me because I wanted more children, and I couldn't have any more. I was having miscarriages, and finally at age 31, I had to have a partial hysterectomy uh, where they took out my uterus, and that was the end of childbearing. And uh, that put me in a depression also. 
and um, so we had everything as far as the outside the cars, the vacations, we belonged to an extremely expensive and very exclusive golf and country club where my husband is a golfer to this day, he enjoys golf. And again, I'd see these little bodies on these women in the tennis outfits and in the golf outfits, and I was a good 10 to 20 years younger than most of them. There were very few my age. At that time, I was in my 30s, early 30s. And... I still couldn't do it. I would, you know, I'll never forget one time I went to uh, one of their events at the country club and I had on a pink sequin dress at a size 16. I I probably looked like a parfait. (laughs) And somebody made a comment. Oh, I see that you've been to a wedding or a bar mitzvah, you know, that I'd bought that dress cut right into me. And I let it, you know, and I let these things happen, and I, and I, and I just felt worse and worse. And um, I would eat. Nobody ever saw me eat, except my son, my little boy. We would kind of fight for the last thing in the drawer, in the, in the, in the, in the uh, pantry. And um, today he's a food addict. God bless him. But um, I had all this. I had travel, I had clothes, I had anything I wanted, but I didn't have the health in my head. I didn't have the the, uh, the mind that I wanted to have. I was I felt like I was crazy. And uh, then my husband got sick. In 1978, he had a massive heart attack, and he had to stop working. And he has not worked in all this time. He was 44 years old when that took place. And I had been the lady of leisure. But I have to share with you, I was a lady of leisure because I chose that. I should have gone to school at that time. I should have gotten a job before he got sick. I should have done all those things. I only had one child, you know. Nothing was stopping me. He was off at school. But I took the easy way out. I didn't go for the, for the, career, for the career, for the education. And I just took the easy way out. And when my husband got sick and the tables were turned, I realized I have to do something. You know, I have to go to work. And I did. And I, I had some nice jobs. And um, the, last, the, the job that I had that gave me a lot of pleasure was I was the director of a small social service agency in my community. And we provided a lot of help to uh, poor people. We helped overseas. And I loved it. And I, I love raising money. I, I, I really love fundraising. And that was what I did best. And I put on parties and I put on dinners and luncheons and did publicity, all kinds of stuff. And uh, at first I was kind of normal size. Because when my husband got sick, I, w- I had dieted down. And I was not as thin as I am today, but I was normal size. And um, suddenly, in this job that I had, that I loved, there was a lot of tension. And there were a lot of things that would go on, and I would get resentful of certain people. And I never knew how to cope with difficulties. I, I knew how to eat, 
but I didn't know how to face someone and say, you know, you're stepping on my toes, or, you know, this is not right. We shouldn't be doing this and this a certain way. So what I did instead, I was there 10 years, and I blew up. I was back up to 185 pounds. Uh, and what I did instead was I found an excuse to move out of town, to give up the job, because it had gotten so painful that I felt like I couldn't just walk away. I had to have an excuse. By this time, my son was married and uh, living in Texas, and we live in Florida. And they had a little boy, a little, my first grandchild. And I, one day I said to my husband, why are we here? Why don't we move to Texas? He said, you really want to move to Texas? I said, yes. You know, what do they call that, geographical cure? You know, I was going to move to a new community where, you know, I would just find a new group of friends and I wouldn't have to put up with my resentment against this one and this one and this one. And I was going to leave town. Well, I guess my higher power had other plans for me because we put our house up for sale and it didn't sell. This was in 19, um, around 1989, 1990, and the market wasn't good, so the house just stood there. In the meantime, I have to get a job. So I got another job, which, again, I worked for 10 years at the second job, and um, my son got divorced. And the little baby and his mother moved up north. And so my husband and I decided we might as well just stay here. You know, We sold that house and we, we scaled down and we moved to a smaller location. But all this while, I'm eating. I'm eating out of frustration. I'm eating out of uh, resentment and anger and disappointment and getting more and more depressed. There were times where I thought about suicide. I just didn't have the guts. Thank you, God. I didn't have the courage to do anything about it. And um, I was also, by this time, beginning to have some difficulties in my marriage where um, um, I just felt like I couldn't talk to him. You know, we weren't communicating. And uh, he has an addiction. And one day, after I had my surgery, it was that year, and I was still 185, 181 pounds, and um, I knew I heard about a 12-step program called Al-Anon, and I went. And I started to hear recovery. I started to hear people talk about the steps. And then my husband started to go to a program and I would go with him to meetings and I started to hear recovery there and I'd meet people and I'd hear stories of people who were just about living in the gutter they had lost their families their 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 homes their jobs and now they looked bright-eyed and they were functioning and they weren't depressed anymore and I was so depressed that I, I knew that this was the link I needed. I needed to get into some kind of a program. I'm a great joiner. I love to join things. And so I came to, the, uh, to the, what used to be, um, it, it was a different uh, food program. 
and uh, I went to the meetings, and people would sit around the circle, and they were very nice, and they would tell you to come back, you know, keep, you know, just keep doing it, and come back, but nobody gave me a food plan, and nobody had any hope, because they were all overweight, all of them, and the whole time I was going there, I didn't see anybody lose any weight, and then, finally, in November of 1994, after I had felt like committing suicide, after I had felt like, you know, my child was grown, he didn't need me anymore, I didn't really have, this, that second job I took was okay, but it wasn't like my first job where I was important and I, I had a lot of credibility in the community and was looked up to. I finally heard somebody say, Number one, she said, you never again have to hurt yourself with food. Mm. That's what I had done all the years. If you insulted me, I ate. If you disappointed me, I ate. I always hurt myself with food. That's what I knew how to do. And she was, she was a breath of fresh air. She said her life was second to none. And boy, did I want that. Why couldn't I have that? Why couldn't I be a person that was happy? Why couldn't I be a person that was normal? And she was thin. And she showed me her picture. And I couldn't believe it. She had been fatter than I, bigger than me. And she lost weight. And bless her heart, you know, she gave me something that nobody else had given me. No Weight Watchers, no other group. Nobody had given me this thing, and that was hope. Hope that I could do it. Hope that I never again had to struggle with it. And so she and I started together, and uh, it was tough. I have to tell you that the first couple of weeks, I mourned my food. You know, she told me what to eat exactly what to eat in the measurements that I was to eat it and what time I should call her and you know the the 30 minutes of quiet time in the morning and the getting down on the knees and all of those things that were alien to me because I never did anything like that before I didn't know about things like that in Weight Watchers they never asked you to do that (laughs) you know they said give me your money and that was it and so um I mean, she was tough, but you know what? She was exactly what I needed. She saved my life when my life at that time was so bad that I just didn't know if I could make one more day. And the first day, you know, she told me to eat this stuff in the morning for breakfast, and I said, oh, God. I said, I was sobbing. I was absolutely sobbing. And my husband was holding me while I was sobbing. And I said, I can't eat this. And he said, sure you can. Try it. Because the other thing that he knew and I had just learned was it's only for one day. Can you do this just for one day? And so I did. And uh, and we had our tough times, she and I. There were some, you know, rough spots in there. Like one time... um, I used to have to work late on Monday night, and I had a meeting following work. So I would take my lunch and my dinner along with me. And I ate my lunch at, at work, 
And then when I went to have my dinner, there was my food, and I take it out. Instead of have a, having a protein and a vegetable in a salad, I had two vegetables and no protein. Well, I called her, and she was saying, well, you've got to go home and get it. And I said, I can't. You know, I didn't have enough time to, to go home, come back, eat, and come to the meeting. I, it, it just was impossible. Well, she thought I broke my abstinence. And at that time, I think I had like 60 days of back-to-back abstinence. And, oh, I was crying. I, I, I carried on like a baby because I didn't want to ruin it. You know, I wanted to be perfect. And it turns out I hadn't broken my abstinence because I only ate one. You know, less is more. Put it away. Throw it out. And that's what I did. But again, you know, she and I went through, you know, those kinds of things together. But we grew. We grew to love each other and we're still very good friends. She's no longer my sponsor. I have another sponsor. But um, we, we also had a lot of things go on in our fellowship because it was the two of us and the rest of them. <laughs> and we were, we were really picked on. I mean, it wasn't easy because uh, we were criticized and uh, then they find, as we got more and more members, they moved away and they left the whole thing to us. They left us the treasury and the chairmanship and everything. And uh, when we became FA, we left them. But um, it was was a a lot of trial and error, you know, and uh, our fellowship has... Uh, grown and gone down and grown again and come, come down again, but I'm really, really uh, convinced that, um, you know, the person has to say, I've had enough, you know. People who come in, and I see it all the time, I sponsor, I've probably sponsored 200 people in the last seven years, um, you know, people who come in for the diet, it doesn't work. I know for me, I had to be desperate. I had to wish that, you know, I was no longer on this earth or just so totally uh, depressed, desperate that there was nothing else left for me. There was really nothing else. And when I first started, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I just went from one day to the next, the next day to the next, the next day to the next. Couldn't think far in advance because if I did, I might not have made it. I really believe that, that especially for newcomers, we can't project. We have to live in the day. And that's what she taught me. She taught me to live in the day. And she taught me one day at a time you can do this. And uh, the fellowship grew, and then she moved away. And she went and she built a little fellowship in another community. And she's now in a third community. And uh, I call her Johnny Appleseed because she leaves her little seeds of program wherever she goes. And um, I'm, I'm also in an AWOL. I'm in my seventh AWOL. And uh, she brought that to us, too. And she, uh, she was tough there, too. You know, you get off the key a second, and she would pull you right back. And, uh, you know, that's what I needed. I needed boundaries. I needed disciplines. I needed to be told what time to call her. She told me a quarter to six. I said, well, you know, I get home at about five. five." She said, no, in the morning. (laughs) You know, I was going to call her at night. 
And uh, she told me that I should write the food down the night before. Well, you know, Weight Watchers, I had written my food down after I ate. This time I had to learn how to write it down the night before, which means that I have to prepare it the night before. I have to know it's in the house. You know, I'll have a sponsee even to this day who'll call me and say, you know, I have to change my vegetable. Why? Well, I didn't get to the store to buy. I said, well, why did you write down what you have in the house? You know, you don't, maybe I won't get to the store. So this is what my sponsor taught me. You know, she, she taught me how to put disciplines into my life. When I first started with her, I was working a full-time job. I was uh, going to school where, by the way, I, I did take a, a, um, six years to do a two-year course, but I got a degree when I turned 60. I got my degree, and I really was absolutely thrilled. And I was uh, doing some part-time selling, and I have a house and a sick husband. He's, he's had his his illnesses since I've been in program even more than he had before and you know she taught me how to handle it all you know how to put things into proper perspective do what's important first and leave the rest and uh, I didn't know how to do that when I met her I was 58 years old she was 35 and she taught me how to do all these things she gave me a, 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 a a plan, a book to follow, not, not in book form, but she taught me how to live a normal life. And um, I'm just amazed, you know, at what I can accomplish today. I retired from the second job uh, last year when I turned 65. I now have two part-time jobs, and I still have a home and a husband, and I have to do, you know, whatever I do. And I feel younger and healthier than I've ever felt in the last 30 years. In fact, when I came in at age 58, I had high blood pressure. I no longer have high blood pressure. I have um, severe gastrointestinal uh, disease where I used to have to sleep on three pillows, and even then I didn't sleep all night because of the reflux that would come up. I don't have to sleep on three pillows. I sleep on one. Uh, allergies. I would wind up in, in the emergency room from time to time because I couldn't breathe and they thought, you know, a woman her size, she may, maybe she's having a heart attack at my age. And it was from what I was eating because it was a lot of times after I'd been in a restaurant and on the way home, I, I couldn't breathe. And, uh, and, I, and I know that today I don't have those things. It's from the food it's from my higher power. It's from asking God for help. Um, five years ago, my husband had to have his second open heart surgery when he was 65. And um, I got through it abstinent. I didn't eat through it. I haven't eaten through any of his illnesses since I've been in program. Uh, you know, we all have lives. <clears throat> Things happen that we don't plan. Things go wrong, but I don't eat over it. Because I was taught the same mantra. You don't eat no matter what, no matter what, you don't eat. And I remember uh, one time before my husband had that second open heart surgery, he called me at work. He was having chest pains. He's a heart patient. What do you, you know, what can be? And um, I was on my way to the hospital, but I, I picked up my lunch 
which was in the refrigerator at work. And I went out to the car, and I drove to the hospital. I saw him, and I saw that he was being taken care of. He was being monitored, you know. He had everything attached, and he was in the emergency room. And when it got to be 12 o'clock, I said, I'll see you later. And I went, and I ate my lunch in the cafeteria, had a cup of decaf, and ate my weight and measured meal. And that's what I do. I do that. On the way here to this convention, God bless us, eight of us were eating in the Atlanta airport. In fact, it was seven of us that came from Daytona Beach, and I spotted somebody across the way eating out of plastic. <laughs> and I went over to her and I said, F.A.? And she said, yes. <laughs> who else? You know, who else does that? But I do that to save my life. I do that because I want to stay abstinent. I need to stay abstinent. I don't take chances. In fact, thank you, God. I'm even, I shouldn't say maybe because I'll get a canary, but, um, you know, I have less colds and less sicknesses because I don't eat in restaurants as often as I used to because we used to eat out two, three times a week. Now I eat out maybe two, three times a month. And... I feel better, and I get more to eat <laughs> in my own house anyway. But uh, this program has given me so many different things in so many different areas. Uh, I'm told that I'm different than I was when I first came into program. Uh, I'm not as uptight, you know. I don't have to have everything my way. Uh, I'm sometimes accused of being uh, a little uh, forceful, <laughs> um, you know, the leader. Because, you know, as a kid, I was always the leader. I was the tallest, the biggest, and, um, and I've, I've never been afraid to speak. You know, I never had a problem with getting in front of a group. And so I, they always elected me as president. So I just took that role, you know. I was always the president. I was always the leader. And, um, you know, coming into program is humbling because there are no leaders in program, you know. In F.A., we're all the same doesn't matter how many years we have, and it doesn't matter how many AWOLs we've co-led. We're still food addicts. Uh, my first sponsor always used to say, you know, I'm just another bozo on the bus. You know, what do I know? And, uh, and I, very often I feel just like that. You know, what do I know? But I, I have to say that, um, you know, at my age today, at 66, as I said, I feel better. I think I look better. I've passed my picture around, so I don't know where it is, if you've seen it yet. But in that picture, I was, um, I was the grandma, you know. It's a picture of my husband and myself and, and our grandson. And that's what I felt like, you know, the grandma. I used to feel like my husband's mother, and then I'm, I'm the grandma to this little boy. And um, I know my grandmother wasn't very glamorous. <laughs> you know, she didn't, she didn't look the way I feel I look today, with vitality and, and, and health, thank God, and strength. And it's, I owe it all to this program. And I'm also so awed by this convention. I feel so grateful that, not, first of all, that I am qualifying at this convention and that other people will hear these tapes and will use them the way I have used them these last seven years, almost eight years, uh, 
to to hear a recovery story and to uh, meet somebody that I that I've uh, heard and to to know that it can get better that it doesn't have to be bad and sad in fact I'm the tape person in in our fellowship I have the tapes in a little box in the trunk of my car because they know Iris carries the tapes because I believe in these tapes I really feel that uh, especially for those of us in small fellowships, there were times when all we had was the tape. You know, if you had one person abstinent, how many times could that person qualify? So at least you had tapes that you could play, and then that person could share on the tape. And those people who've d- done service in years past and made the tapes, I'm grateful to them. And I hope that uh, that my tape uh, will someday help somebody else who who's feeling the way I felt uh, sad and depressed and overweight and not feeling well, you know, physically, and that there's hope, there is a solution, you know. It didn't have to be that way, that I could get better. And I'm glad that, that our program is now reaching out to more and more states and, and to some foreign countries so that this, the word can spread. I'm a big PR person. That, that's what I love to do, too. And uh, I've done most of the uh, flyers and the press releases for our fellowship. And, uh, you know, you see somebody sometimes and you want to say, don't you know what you could have if you just come with me? But, you know, we can't do that. But at least we, we put on a lot of public information meetings several times a year so that we can uh, expose ourselves to the public and they can come and meet us and hear recovery. You know, here where someone was was miserable and down, and now is better. So that's that's the hope that there is a solution. And uh, I'm just again grateful. I always say when I qualify, grateful is not a big enough word, because it doesn't encompass the emotion that I have inside of me, and it doesn't do justice to what I've gotten from this program. I can say grateful to anybody, and they they say, oh, grateful. But only those of us in F.A. know what grateful means. Thank you. And now, all those who wish, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.